Thank you for joining us today for the ministry of the word at Foundation Church. We pray that what you hear today will be as much of a blessing for you as it was for the people of our congregation. Well, greetings this Lord's Day, this fall, Sunday, amen. You guys know it's the first Sunday of fall. Now, I know some of you aren't so excited about fall as I am, uh, but the Robinettes in particular like it. We were even walking through a parking lot uh, just the other day, and we were wearing sweaters. We were wearing sweaters, and we were stopped, and someone said, you guys are so cute. So we like wearing sweaters. Uh, this apparently doesn't resonate with everyone like it does with us, but we like colder weather. We look forward to the time where uh, we can build a fire outside and hang out and uh, maybe even soon build one inside. You guys are not excited about fall and winter like we are. Well, that's all right. You know, fall has always been the time of harvest. That's why we have the holidays that we do during that time. Even Thanksgiving happened at that time of the year. The people were bringing in the great bounty that they have. But you know, not everybody has a great bounty. Not everybody has more than they need so that they can get together and have a big giant celebration about all that they have, which is really what Thanksgiving is. Today we're going to talk a little bit about what to do about that, what to do about when people don't have enough, even within the body of Christ, what, they, what to do. My sermon today is going to be called Fear the Lord, Give to the Poor. And uh, we're going to go into Psalm 112 and uh, we're going to look there. Psalm 37 says this, it says, Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they soon shall be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good and thou shalt dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger, and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. You know, Sometimes it's hard for us when we see that there are poor people to see that evil people have more than they need. And what the psalmist here is saying is that really shouldn't bother you either. It shouldn't bother you that evil people waste what they have and have too much and don't give to the poor. For evildoers, verse 9, shall be cut off, and they that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, the wicked shall not be, yea, they shall diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in an abundance of peace. The wicked plots against the just, he gnashes upon him with his teeth, but the Lord shall laugh at him, for he sees that his day is coming. We should, if we're going to do anything, we should laugh as God laughs. At the wicked. The wicked have drawn out their sword, they have bent their bow, they have cast down the poor and the needy to slay such as be of upright conversation. Their sword shall enter into their own hearts, and their bows shall be broken. A little that a righteous man has is better than the riches of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knoweth the days of the upright, and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time. And in the days of famine, they shall be satisfied. But the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of the Lord shall be as the fat of lambs, and they shall consume into smoke, shall they consume away. The wicked borrows, and he pays not again, but the righteous man shows mercy, and he gives. For such as blessed of him shall inherit the earth, and they that be cursed of him shall be cut off. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I have been young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging for bread. He is ever merciful, and he lends, and his seed is blessed." 
Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loves judgment and forsakes not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we find our hope alone in you. Lord, we can be grieved, Lord, that things are not the way we think they should be, Lord. There is a great disparity between the rich and the poor. We can spend our days being grieved and disturbed and upset by the wealthy and by those that waste and those that do not give. Or we could look to you and remember that the wicked, their days are numbered and they're coming to an end and that you care for your people. Lord, that we could be like you and as you lend and give to us, we could lend and give to others. May we today give from a heart of abundance knowing that our Father is our great provider. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. standing for just a little bit here and I will read Psalm 112. It's not that long. I believe it's seven verses long. Eight, no, nine verses long. Sermon today, fear the Lord, give to the poor. Psalm 112 beginning in verse one says this, praise ye the Lord. Can we do that? Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty upon the earth, and the generation of the upright shall be blessed. Wealth and riches shall be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Unto the upright there ariseth light in the darkness. He is gracious, he is full of compassion, and he is righteous. A good man shows favor, and he lendeth. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. He shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he see his desire upon his enemies. He hath dispersed. He hath given to the poor. His righteousness endureth forever and his horn shall be exalted with honor. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for this journey through the book of Psalms. Lord, it deals with the central matters of our life and faith and our practice. And here, Lord, as we come to Psalm 112, we can see it is a great invitation to have faith and to give. Lord, I pray today, Lord, that we would be challenged by it, Lord, that we would see, Lord, that it is not merely mercy, but that it is justice that we give of what we have to those who don't have need. In Christ's name we pray and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. The story of the book of Ruth is a beautiful story. How many know this story? Have you taught this to your children? This would be a great, you know it, Sarah Grace? You know, yeah. Uh, this would be a great thing to do with your kids. If you don't know what to do with your kids this week, to teach them about God and to disciple them in the ways, teach them the story of the book of Ruth. It's a beautiful story. It has it all. It's got romance, tragic death, famine, friendship, faith, the kinsman redeemer, right? Pictured Christ, of course. But one of the oft overlooked jewels of this book of the Bible is a practical look into how God's law instructs people to help the poor. This part of Ruth's story is vital to the narrative, but it was just as vital to the society that God was building among the children of Israel. What you do with yourself is one thing. What a whole nation does with its poor says something about the nation itself. Now Jesus said, and you also heard, he echoed this from the law of God in Deuteronomy 15, Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. Did you hear that from Deuteronomy 15 as well? In Deuteronomy 15 said, there's always going to be poor, right? Jesus, when they were pouring out the valuable ointment on his feet, remember someone complained and they said, this is not right. We could have sold this 
and it was as much, some studies say, as a, a year's income, we could have sold this and distributed to the poor. But Jesus said what? The poor you will always have with you. Now Jesus said that the, I won't always be here, so pouring this out on me is just fine, okay? So we could focus on pouring out things to Jesus, but also the poor that we have, the scripture teaches us we need to pour out some stuff to them as well. Uh, Jesus was reminding his followers that how we treat those in need is an important part of what it means to be his disciple. This must be central to our Christian walk and the spiritual character that God is transforming you into. You know, we talk about things that define us. I actually will believe uh, as the pastor of this church and an elder uh, on our session, uh, I believe that you can... And I believe that we have emphasized things about what we believe that are not as important as other things. I'm glad that we're reformed. I'm glad that we believe in the solas. I'm glad that we're confessional. That's all good, well and good. But I think that it's just as important to say, well, what do we believe about the poor? What do we believe about evangelism? What do we believe about a lot of different things. These things to me are just as important and really I think actually more important. This doctrine that I'm talking about today is pure and distilled as it gets when it comes to what it means to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is not necessarily uh, that we believe in creeds. It's not necessarily that we have a system of theology but Jesus says it this way, right? If you need a little convincing, uh, God's word says it this way. Pure religion and undefiled before God. Everybody say pure religion. How many, how many people want to have pure religion? How many people want to have good, sound, real, godly religion? I want it. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. Having a perfect system where you can put all of your doctrines in. Aligning yourself with the great Puritans and the great uh, reformers and admiring their great pointy-headed intellects. Is that, is that what it says? It, no, and I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. It's like Jesus saying, these things ought you to have done, but you've left the other undone. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. What would happen if there was a denomination who said, this is what we believe. We believe in helping the fatherless and we believe in helping widows and we believe in helping the poor as God's word has said. What would happen if a denomination said, that's what we want to be our rally flag to rally around. We want to be those that bring the Great Commission into the world and tell people about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that is the rally point we want to rally around. I think those might be some better rally points than maybe some of the ones that we've had. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7? And he further defined in Matthew 25 about who was and who was not a follower of God. You guys, when you read this, I'm telling you, this is painful. Matthew chapter 7, beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Now, how do you tell? Well, he said, you will know them by what they do. You'll not know them by what books they read. You'll not know them by what they say. You'll know them by what they do. Everybody say what they do. So what do they do? And you're going to find out that Jesus says there are things that people that are real Christians, that are not sheep in wolves in sheep's clothing, what they do. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree brings forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree brings forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that brings forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. He then gives us this. He says, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. I always thought it was funny. Growing up, there were churches and their entire goal was to get people to say a prayer, right? When Jesus said, not everyone that says the prayer, 
Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord. Not everyone that says, I believe. Not every one of those people are Christians. Not everyone shall say, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom. But he that does, everybody say, he that does, the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out devils? Have we not done many wonderful works, wonderful miracles? So Jesus says you can prophesy and still not know him. You can call on him and say, Lord, Lord, and still not be his. You can even cast devils out and do miracles and still not know God. He said, I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So what defines pure religion? It's not miracles. It's not casting out devils or being able to convince others that you are a prophet or a mighty woman of God or man of God. Hear what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 25. When I read these things, I think they should make us consider what we have done and how we have offered our judgments about who is in Christ and who is not. Matthew chapter 25 says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, this is starting out in verse 31 of Matthew 25, Then shall he sit upon the throne of glory, and before him shall be gathered all the nations, and he shall separate them one from the other, as a shepherd divides his sheep from his goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now I would think at this point it would be good to throw out the theological perspective that Jesus is expecting his people to have if they're going to go to heaven, but that's not what he does. What Jesus lays out is what these people do and what they have not done. Now we don't earn our way to heaven. Okay, But Christians who are uh, born again, who've been changed to our new creatures, there are things they do and there are things they don't. And if they don't do them, the Bible says that Jesus will uh, judge them as not being Christians. So you might go, wow, that's a little bit scary. Well, let's read it. Jesus said this, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Now this is what Jesus said of those people that get to go to heaven. You did this to me. Now I'm telling you, Jason, if I was alive at the time, I'd be like, I'm glad I knew Jesus. <laughs> I'm glad when he was hungry, I gave him food. I'm glad, I'm glad when he was thirsty, I gave him a drink. I'm glad when he was in trouble, I came and visited him, right? I'm glad about all that. The righteous, sells, they, the righteous actually will even quit. Well, Lord, we didn't live during the time that you lived. When did we do this? The righteous will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? The, the righteous, even that are making it into heaven, they're questioning how they got there. When, were, when do we see you hungry, Lord? When do we see you thirsty, Lord? When were you in prison? When were you sick? When did this happen? When did we see you a stranger and take you in naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick in prison? The king shall say unto them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you have done it, everybody say, done it, Done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren. Everybody say, my brethren. You've done it unto me. This should make us all riled up to find thirsty Christians. And hungry Christians. And Christians without clothes. And Christians that are in prison for being Christians. How many, is this motivating you right now to find out where some of these are? Because I want to be uh, on God's side where the sheep are, not where the goats are. All right. Now I know I can't make myself that I understand. But when I hear this is the definition of what it means to be a Christian, or this is the way the king will judge it. So it makes me wonder if I have understood this. Then shall he say to them on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Sin is what? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. 
So we hear that these guys were righteous in that they conformed and that they did what God said to do. God says to give to the poor. So what do they do? They gave to the poor. He said they helped the sick. And what did they do? They helped the sick. But it's also sin is what we don't do. Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you did not give me meat. I was thirsty, and you did not give me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they say unto him, Lord, when did, we, when did this happen? Right? So the righteous are going to want to know when it happened. And it was, hey, when you did this, to these little ones, these people that didn't matter to anybody, when you did this to your brothers and sisters in Christ that weren't very important, weren't very big, weren't nothing, do you know you were doing it to me? And he's telling them, when you didn't do it to these poor, weak, suffering, difficult, impoverished people, when you did not do that, you were not doing it to me. Very last saying to you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment and the righteous into life eternal. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to create some weird thing that isn't in the Bible. This is how Jesus says that the king that comes in glory with his holy angels is going to separate the goats from the sheep. And I'm just saying, if this is his standard it makes me think that maybe it should be a standard that we set for our own selves. Amen? If that's not enough, John the Beloved asked this question in 1 John chapter 3. Whoso has the world's goods and sees his brother have need, and he shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? This is not a you better do it or God's going to get you. It's a questioning because 1 John is about are you in Christ or are you not? Fear the Lord, everybody say. Give to the poor. So do you remember God's command to Israel concerning the farming practices and, uh, and, and, the, and the poor in the story of Ruth? I began talking about the story of Ruth. Do you guys remember that how we treat the poor is really dealt with and it's really lived out in a way in the book of Ruth that you're not going to see really anywhere else in scripture, okay? So Ruth was not a Jew. She was a Moabite and she had married a Jewish man named Malon. And uh, about, after they'd been together about 10 years, Malon died. Uh, Malon's mother was named Naomi. Everybody say Naomi. And Naomi, who would be the mother-in-law of Ruth here, her husband had also died, and so these are two widows. And it's a really great story. Um, yeah, it's a wonderful story. Uh, I'm pausing because I read something this week that was so disturbing, I can't, I, and, and I'm not going to share it with you. Is that okay? Reading about the story of this. If you, if you want to be disturbed later, you can ask me about what I read that disturbed me so much, Okay. But her mother-in-law, Naomi, whose husband had also died, made her a widow, and Naomi and Ruth went back to Israel together. Israel cared for their poor, their widows, and for those who were just passing through and found themselves in need. The care of the poor was a very important part of Israel, and it was actually a very important part of the early church. You would think that in the book of Acts, as we're learning about people coming to Christ and being baptized and the kingdom exploding, that that you wouldn't think the very first thing that would come to pass would be in uh, Acts chapter 6 with the day of Pentecost and the miracles and thousands coming to the Lord. You wouldn't think the very first event to occur after that would be and their poor people and how they dealt with their poor people was causing issues, right? Because it was central to who they are. Now, we live in a world right now where the church... And the people of God do not deal with the poor because the government has taken over this job. This is not a job that should ever have been the government's job. The government does it in a sinful, wrong, ungodly way against God's law. And as a result, it hurts the poor. Our nation, as blessed as we are, and the millions and billions that we give away to the poor, we do so in a way that does not honor God and it is not lovely and it is not beautiful and it causes a leanness to people's souls. Our nation is horrendously in sin over what we do with our poor. It's not because we help them, it's because we don't help them the way that God's word says 
to do it. And I don't have, you know, eight hours to go through the scripture and go through Deuteronomy 15 and Deuteronomy, you know, there's many other chapters and I can go through all of this. There is a way to help poor people. And it isn't by putting them on welfare. It isn't by handing them out free stuff. It is not about that. God's word teaches us exactly how to do it. And it showed them how to do it. And if we could do it the way they did it, we could make a difference that would be lovely and beautiful. So as poor widows, Naomi and Ruth went to glean. Everybody said they went to glean. They went to glean in the fields of a man named Boaz. And of course, Boaz is a type of Christ and all that. But don't miss the fact that they were widows and they went to glean. We don't even know what the word glean is. How many of you have gleaned? Right? Gleaning is not a word that we're familiar with. Okay? The law delivered to Israel through Moses told the children of Israel that when they farmed, they were not to reap their entire fields. If they had a square field, they were going to go and, and instead of reaping everything in the field, they were going to round the corners and leave the corners of their field unreaped. And as they gathered up the, the sheaves, as they were you know, out there gathering them up, if they dropped them on the ground, Jason, you know what they were supposed to do? Just leave them on the ground. And he explained why. He said, because I want to leave the corners of the field and this. And in addition to that, every seven years, you're going to let your fields, just whatever grows out there is not yours. Whenever your trees and your vineyards grow those season, guess what? It's for the poor. It's for the widows. It's for the strangers that are passing through the land. It's not for you. And so God provided work. Everybody say, God provided work. He provided work for the poor. He, the, they planted the seed and they grew it, right? And it was theirs and it was their property, their field. But God said, no, I want you to trust me by not doing this. And so in the story of the book of Ruth, um, you'll see this is what's going on. Ruth and Naomi are out there and they're picking up what's being dropped. And Boaz, who's generous, sees them. So what does he do? You guys know the story? He instructs them, drop some more, drop extra. You know, because he's generous. Drop some more on the ground. Instead of going, hey, you know, we're just going to, you don't even have to come. You don't even have to reap. You don't have to do anything. In fact, we'll just do it all for you. Is that what he does? No, that's not what God says. God provided them a field, but they had to reap it. Then they had to separate the wheat from the chaff or the barley and the whatever it is. I'm not a barley farmer. I don't know how it works. But then, then they would take and then they would have to grind it up and they'd have to turn it into usable stuff. Okay. And then they could sell that stuff or they could eat and use that stuff themselves. When they gathered from orchards, when they gathered, there are times, you ever notice that like you got your tomato plants do good, you know, but then like at the end of the season, like when you forgot about them, they're still out there growing maybe, Right. And so when the, when, the, when the harvest was over and they had harvested it all, they're like, don't go back in there and get all that extra stuff. Leave it. Leave it for the poor. Leave it for the strangers. Leave it for the widows. God made provision for them through this. They were told that you, and you can read about it, those of you that want to study this subject and figure this out, this is a big subject and I, I, we, we cannot deal with it fully, but Exodus chapter 23 Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy 24, and it's reaffirmed many times by the prophet Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Micah. And they teach that doing this was not a matter of mercy only. Of course, it is merciful to help people that don't have food, but it was a matter of justice. Okay, so when the Bible says they give justice to the poor, you might be thinking about a court trial. You might be thinking about how rich people uh, oftentimes crush little people, and they do. But the justice that is mentioned is the justice of the fact that God said there can you cannot just let your poor people be poor. We because God dealt with the nation of Israel as what as a whole covenantally, right? So when God blessed them all and they had more than they needed, what did they do? They shared it. Okay, if you remember, this doesn't just an Old Testament thing. Do you guys remember what happened in the Book of Acts? In the book of Acts chapter 2, in the book of Acts 3, you read it, it says, and, and neither said people that owned things were their own, but they sold them, they distributed to everybody as everybody had need. There was a, now this is not communism. Communism is when a government says, no one owns anything. Let's take it from everybody and this distribute it out. That's not, that's not God's plan either. 
God's plan is when he blesses you with more than you need and you find other people that don't have as what they need. And when I say what they need, I don't mean that, you know, they don't have to be, they don't have to have everything you have. But if they don't have food to eat, folks, let me tell you what, I think it would be a horrendous, horrendous sin to have a member of this congregation that didn't have food. I think that it wouldn't just be a matter of we should be nice to them. It would be a matter of we were being unjust to them if we allowed the people in our church to be hungry. It's a sin. God does not allow this. Why? He blesses us as a whole and we prosper as a whole. Now that doesn't mean everyone, you know, everyone let's sell all we have, put it in one pot and split it up and, and per person we'll hand it out. That's communism. God isn't for that. But what God does is he allows you to become uh, part of his work. People pray and they say, oh Lord, I'm hungry. And when your hand opens to them and gives to them, what are you doing? You are answering their prayer and you are being the hands and feet of Christ. Fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. Give to the poor. Here in Psalm 112, we have a second part of a pairing of Psalms directing us to fear the Lord and it is the beginning of, a, of wisdom and the true wisdom of God. Last week we talked about how often we fear everyone and everything first before we fear God and how we sin when we do this. This week we're going to talk about what this, sort, this short song teaches us is a simple and clear way to please God in your actions. Here's how we fear God. We fear God by giving to the poor. Psalm 112 does not have an inspired heading, but it seems actually connected with Psalm 111, 112, and even 113. We'll see next week how it's connected. It all kind of connects together in, a, in a, uh, an understandable uh, order for me as a teacher. When we get to verse 1, praise ye the Lord, blessed is the man that fears the Lord. Here's, here's how the connection. Psalm 111 ends with the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and Psalm 112 begins with, praise ye the Lord, blessed is the man that fears the Lord. See the connection, how it holds these two songs together. He delights greatly in his commandments. We lift up the name of the Lord in song and in praise. Praise ye the Lord. Alternatively, praise ye the Lord is translated as hallelujah. We don't yell hallelujah. We kind of think that might be Pentecostal or something. No, it's very biblical. Hallelujah is praise ye the Lord. Is praise ye the Lord sound more sophisticated? Praise ye the Lord. Or you could just go, hallelujah. We lift up the mighty name of God with joyful voices, praising the one who made us and gives to us all good things. We're reminded in verse 1 that we, what we were taught last week in the last verse of Psalm 111, the fear of the Lord is at the core of the life of the blessed man. He knows the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and God blesses those that fear him and delight greatly in his commandments. Verse 2, his seed shall be mighty upon the earth, and the generation of the upright shall be blessed. These promised blessings upon the man who fears God and delights greatly in his commands extend from him onto his children and to his grandchildren. As Abraham was promised, God would greatly multiply his seed of the stars of the heaven and the sand of the sea, and that in him all the nations of the entire earth would be what? They would be Blessed, right? We, the children of Abraham, the father of all those that live by faith, can accept and should expect the same blessings. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, affirmed that when the Holy Ghost fell on all those that heard his words that day, that this promise, Acts 2.39, was unto them and to their children, right? Wealth and riches, verse 3, shall be in his house, and righteousness, his righteousness endures forever. Once again, I will tell you the reason there is a prosperity gospel that's false is because there is a prosperity gospel that's true. The prosperity gospel that's true is right here in verse 3. Wealth and riches will be in the house of those that fear the Lord. And you go, wow. And what's funny about that is most of you don't know how wealthy you are. Most of us, I should say, do not know how wealthy we are. We are the richest people in the whole world world by a long shot. You might go, well, I don't really feel that way. I had to, you know, clip coupons this week and, and I had to worry about this and had to worry about that. Folks, just so you know, 
just practically speaking, the people in this room are among the richest people in the whole world. You don't realize what your wealth is. I was telling my wife one of the things that grieved my heart in Honduras, like, you know, several hundred of them, uh, thousands are homeless down there in San Pedro Sula where we just came from. Hundreds died. You guys know about this? It just happened because they had a, they had a, a big storm. Floods happened. People were whisked away. People died. And I said, honey, when we were down there, one of the things that I've gotten used to because I've been on so many third world uh, country trips is the little children. And the little children are all over the streets and they're trying to wash your windows and they're trying to get you to give them a little bit of money. Kids, do you remember the little boy that was at the place we were eating and he's just like, just, can I just have a dollar? Can I just have a dollar? Remember that? Remember that boy? Over and over and over again. Follow me around, follow me around, follow me around, follow me around. Can I just have a dollar? Can I have a dollar? You see, they don't live in the United States where the idea of being hungry is practically a joke, where there are food pantries. You know, there's, there's three or four food pantries in Mount Sterling. They're all over the place. We have welfare programs and food programs and money and free cell phones and, and free housing and free everything. They, down there, they don't have that. And so when you see a little boy on the street and he's trying to wash your window and he's asking you for a dollar, their level of poverty isn't your level of poverty. Their level of poverty ends with them dying of hunger. Our level of poverty ends with us being irritated because the, the thing's not open on our schedule. It was not only a spiritual blessing, it was a monetary one to be expected in this life while living on the earth. And folks, we have it. We're so, so very rich. As long as men lived on the earth, God promised blessing to those who fear him and delighted greatly in his commandments. People go, well, why in the world does, why in the world do the Christian nations of the world have so much? Because God said they would. As it says in Psalm 1, blessed is the man, right? Right? His delights in the law of the Lord, just like it says in this Psalm here. On his law, he meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. He brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaves shall not wither. And whatsoever he does shall, everybody say, prosper. As we come to verse 4, we see the psalmist's definition of what it means in real life to be one who fears the Lord and should expect these blessings. Verse 4, unto the upright there ariseth light in the darkness. He is gracious. Everybody say, he's gracious. Full of compassion. And righteous. What do you mean he's gracious? He's full of compassion. What I mean is, when the Bible says, how dwells the love of God in you when you see your brother or sister in Christ have needs and they're not, they don't have what they need and you don't do anything about it. How can God even live in you? Under the upright there ariseth light in the darkness. He is gracious. He is full of compassion. This just doesn't mean he forgives you for being bad. It means that he offers grace. God has blessed us. What do we do? Your response to God's blessing should be to say, I think other people should have these blessings too. He's not merely righteous for himself. He's a light shining in a dark world. Does that sound familiar? Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and they will glorify your father is in heaven. Jesus did this. He was the light of the world and we indeed cannot hide our light under a bushel. If we indeed have light, it will shine and our good works will be grace and compassion. In this psalm, as you will see, the works mentioned here are how we behave ourselves with what God has given us. So what are these works of compassion? Verse five, a good man shows favor. He lendeth. If you're, you're missing this in the Hebrew, uh, you ever go and apply for a loan? Anybody ever apply for a loan and they want to see your references and they want to see your income and then they want to see, are you a good risk? A good man shows favor. A good man goes, you know, I think you're, I think you're a good risk. Instead of going, you know what, you're never going to pay me back. As you heard in Deuteronomy 15, folks, imagine if our debt system worked like Deuteronomy 15. There would be no more 30-year loans for homes. Right now, they have more loans longer than seven years for cars. Imagine if our debt was all forgiven every seven years. That'd be incredible, wouldn't it? But he says, here's what he does. 
a good man shows favor and he lendeth. What do you mean? He, he, he doesn't look at a guy and go, you know what? You waste everything you have and you're not worth it and, and you need to uh, figure out how to manage your money better and when you figure it out, then I'm going to help you. But until you lay it all out and you put it all out on a spreadsheet and you show me what you do with every bit of it, you know what? We all do the best that we can, right? But there's something about this, this attitude that when we have it, that somehow we have it because we're so much better than other people. And God wants us to realize everything we have comes from God. It doesn't come because we're better. You could just as easily have been born, you know, somewhere else. Not just somewhere else, like as in like, you know, on the Near East side of Columbus. But you could have been born in Honduras or you could have been born in Burma. You could have been born in India where there's a caste system of the people that they call untouchables. But you weren't. You were born right here in the United States, the land of the free, the home of the brave, right? A good man shows favor, he lendeth. He will guide his affairs with discretion. To fear the Lord is to use the resources God has blessed you with to enrich the lives of the less fortunate. These are acts of faith that say this, here's what it says. When you give away what you have, it says this, God gave me what I have. And if I give these things away, he will give me more. That's what faith is. Faith is saying that I don't, I'm not afraid to give away my stuff because God gave me the stuff I have. The man who fears God is not afraid of lending to others what God has given him. He will do this with wisdom, but he will certainly do it. My dad actually did this. Now, I don't know how wise he was, but my dad co-signed for everybody's car and house and, you know, whatever. And if you've been living in the day of the cell phone, everybody would have a cell phone and my dad's name would be on their plan. And, and we were always like, oh, dad, don't do it. Don't do it, dad. They're not going to pay you back. And he'd be like, well, we'll see. A man who fears God is not afraid of lending to others what God has given him. He will do it with wisdom, but he will certainly do it. When it comes to the very poor, the scriptures say this, he that giveth to the poor, do you guys know this one? Proverbs 19, 17, he that giveth to the poor lendeth to the Lord. So if you don't like the idea of lending money to worthless, no good miscreants who are just going to waste it and throw it away, how many of you would be willing to lend money to God? Raise your hand if you would be willing to lend money to God. How many think that God might be able to pay you back? Uh-oh, wait a minute. That, that makes me not be able to judge all the poor of being a bunch of morons and idiots that don't deserve my blessing because God says when we give to the poor, we lend to the Lord. I'll tell you what, I would love to loan God some money. I think it's going to work out for me. Come on. Guys, you know, some of you are going to be developing your life. Some of you are, you're young and you're earning money and you're, you're, you're going to be building a life. What are you going to build your life? I want to build my life with a loan program where I'm loaning money to God. I think this is a good plan. You may not have imagined that you could get in on this sort of a loan, but you can. God's terms of repayment are generous and certain. His collateral is good. The interest rates that he deals out are literally out of this world. Come on, guys. Fear the Lord. Give to the poor. When we get to verse 6, Surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be in everlasting remembrance. You see, giving to others who don't have what they need, what God has given you more than you have enough of, is how you build your financial house on the rock of God. When I think of this, when I think of building your financial house on the rock, I'm a TV person. I grew up watching TV and there was this, the Prudential. You guys ever see this? The Prudential. And they go to the Straits of Gibraltar and there's this giant rock sticking up out of the ocean and they show the rock of Gibraltar and you guys have seen it, the Prudential. So I didn't know if it was a thing. I didn't know if they even existed. If anyone even heard of the Prudential, I looked them up. They're still around. Prudential is still around. They're an $815 billion insurance and financial investment company. 
But you guys probably never even heard of Some of you probably never even heard of the Prudential. They merely have this rock as their symbol. But God is the true immovable rock. He shall not be moved forever and he never forgets his loans. Fear the Lord. Lend to the Lord. Give to the poor. Verse 7, he shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. You see, what we do is we like to take our money and we like to put it somewhere to protect us and give us security against the evil day. And I'm not against savings. But this scripture right here says he's not afraid of evil tidings. Why is he mentioning this after saying that what he does is he lends and he gives? Because why do we take money and we put it in a big pile somewhere? We put money in a big pile somewhere because we go, it's going to protect me from anything bad happening. And it's going to keep me and it's going to be my security. I've been so alarmed at the people who think they're poor. Because the giant pile they have is not as big as they think it should be. Because they may live to be 135 years old. I don't want to cause any of you to have a rude awakening today, but none of you are going to live to be 135 years old unless there's some new scientific advancement. If you don't want to be afraid of what's going to happen in your future and you want your heart to be fixed trusting in the Lord, what happened to the man who had a big, big, big pile? Remember this in the time of Jesus and he said to himself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build a bigger barn. <laughs> Do you think that was the thought that should have come to his mind? You know what? I'm getting a lot, so I'm going to build a bigger barn, put more stuff in. And he died. He didn't need that bigger barn, did he? He may have already ordered the lumber team. When we store up treasures in heaven, we need not fear the next stock market crash, the next devaluation of the dollar. The fear of default and bankruptcy. You know what's funny? The little guy in the street with his little window cleaning thing in Honduras, when he hears the news that the dollar isn't worth anything, he's not going to go, oh no! Oh no! That dollar that, 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 that rich American tourist gave me last week is only worth 80 cents now. You're not really going to care. The man who fears the Lord need not clench up in fear when circumstances dictate otherwise. God invites us to fear the Lord, lend to the Lord, give to the poor, and put our investments where rust and moth cannot corrupt, where thieves cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. I know this is hard stuff, right? You know why this is hard? It's hard because we're all so rich is why it's so hard. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Matthew chapter 6, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust do corrupt, where thieves break in through and steal. And I know as I'm reading these things in your mind, you're like, you know, we really, these really need some explanation. I mean, we really, you know, this is getting a little bit radical here that he's just reading these scriptures and talking about these things. This is, these things need some balance. Well, the reason your mind is saying that instead of, oh God, maybe I'm in sin here is because you got too much stuff. Verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust do corrupt, where thieves do break, cannot break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. How many of you want your heart and your treasure to be with God? Then lend to the Lord today on his loan terms because God repays his debts. Verse 8, his heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. The man who fears the Lord does not live in fear of what may come upon him. His hope is in the Lord, not to take his own strength. God will help him, and he will also take care of his enemies. I read that in our call to worship from Psalm 37. Did you get Psalm 37, 25? I've been young, and now I'm old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed out begging for bread. What does the righteous do? Verse 26, he's ever merciful. He lends and his seed is blessed. Everybody say it with me. Fear the Lord, not men. Give to the poor and lend to the Lord. Man, someone ought to put that on a t-shirt.
Fear the Lord, not men. Give to the poor and lend to the Lord. So this psalm ends in verse 9, helping you to understand that these are not, I'm not finding these ambiguous, you know, words hidden behind uh, some weird Hebrew meaning. No, verse 9, he has dispersed, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever and his horn shall be exalted with honor. He believes what God has said about giving to the poor. He has dispersed. He has given what he can to those in need as God has commanded and he has invited him to trust in God because God keeps his promises and he will exalt him. Fear the Lord. Give to the poor. Expect God to remember you and you will never be disappointed. But the wicked are not like this. This is kind of like how Psalm 1 ends, right? Remember how Psalm 1 ends? He's like, the good man, he's going to be blessed. His leaf shall out with her. Whatsoever he does shall prosper. How does, how does Psalm 1 end? It says, but the ungodly are not so. The ungodly are not so. They're like the chaff which the wind drives away. Here's how this psalm ends as well. The wicked shall see it and shall be grieved. He shall gnash on them with their teeth. He shall melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. And as we will see next week in Psalm 113, Verse 7, it says, God raises the poor out of the dust. He lifts the needy out of the dunghill that he may set him with princes, even with the princes of his people. He maketh the barren woman to keep house and the joyful mother of children. Praise ye the Lord. And you know how God lifts the poor out of the dust heap, out of the dunghill? You know how he does it? He lifts them with your hand. He gets an investment from you as you Lend to them as you give to them to help them. You are the one who gets to be used of God to raise them from their dust heap. Pretty heavy duty stuff from Psalm 112. Fear the Lord and give to the poor. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we hear this song. Psalm 112. Lord, we hear the echoes of what it means to fear the Lord by giving away what we have to others. Lord, we are convicted that we have loved our wealth, that we have trusted in our wealth, that we have hoarded our wealth, that we believe and have faith in it more than we have faith in you. But today, Psalm 12 reminds us to fear you and to give away what we have because you are given us all we have and you'll give us more. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray your time with us was very encouraging. If it was, consider sending us a note and also consider partnering with us. 